Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we've got good news, bad news, and diverse news. Finally, some good news for insurers after the Star Entertainment business interruption case. Good news for Suncorp reporting a billion full year net profit, but what does that mean compared to the rest of the industry? And Dive In has launched. We look into Lloyd's inspired annual diversity and inclusion festival. Hello everyone, on the panel today are publisher Terry McMullen, managing editor John Deeks and deputy editor Wending Pugh. Morning John. Good morning. What would you do with a billion dollar profit? Oh, I don't know. I could probably afford a, a return flight to England with that, that sort of money, I guess. <laughs> Hello Wendy. Um, well, John's used at least half of that to get back to England. What would you do with your half a billion? <laughs> I, I think I might get some sort of, uh, you know, beachfront mansion or something. <laughs> Oh, after the uh, latest IPAC report, I'm not sure that's a great idea. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Well, John's spent half a billion. Wendy spent three quarters of a billion. What are you going to do with your 200,000? Yeah, well, I'm pretty disappointed with what they're using it for, too. What will I do with my 200,000? I'll use it to hire an executive jet to go visit Wendy, I think. All right. Well, on to the the main stories from Monday's bulletin. So insurers can celebrate a legal victory for a change after the federal court ruled in their favor in the Star Entertainment business interruption case. Wendy, how significant is this? And could it have implications for the second BI test case? Well, you know, the the, the first um, ICA test case, of course, went against the insurers. And in the UK, the case was largely in favor of policyholders. So this does mark a, a welcome win from the insurer's perspective. And there would probably have been some uh, other cases waiting in the wings to go ahead if this one had been uh, successful. But this is a policy for a major ASX 200 company. And, of course, the uh, second test case is focused on um, smaller uh, business claims. So there may not necessarily be uh, that many implications from the star win there. But uh, having said that, that, there is one of those claims in the second test case that does have similar wording. So it'll be interesting to see if there are implications. But um, the other thing is that um, everyone's kind of expecting it might be appealed as well. So we might still have to wait a bit longer. Mm. John? Terry hates it when I throw him these difficult questions, so he's uh, demanded I ask them for you. The insurers lost out on the Quarantine Act wording issue, but they could prevail on these other matters. Yes, well, I'm hoping so. I mean, I'm no expert, but um, as distressing as lockdowns have been for many small businesses, insurance, for the most part, was never intended to cover these eventualities. And that's not industry spin. That's, That's a fact, and it's logical to anyone who takes the time to consider and understand it. I always suspected the industry might lose the first test case because those outdated wordings were a mistake and the contract says what the contract says. But from a layman's perspective, I think I'd be surprised if the second test case went against insurers. They're so adamant pandemics are excluded. So it would seem odd to me if the wordings outside of the Quarantine Act issue didn't lead to that result. That said, I don't think it played out that way in the UK, so I could be completely barking up the wrong tree here. Well, that does sound like a Terry answer. In another positive development for the industry, Suncot reported a full year net profit of more than $1 billion. That seems impressive, Wendy, given all the industry challenges highlighted by IAG's results the other day. Well, it was a good result, and the the headline net profit was up uh, 13%, and that included a strong result from the Australian uh, insurance business, which uh, was supported by premium growth. 
Um, but they, they did point to the challenges of COVID and natural catastrophes, but uh, Suncorp has a much lower provision for COVID-related business interruption claims than IAG, so that sort of makes a big difference in that headline number. And they did on the natural catastrophes front. Um, that seemed to have a bit of an impact for them in New Zealand where the earnings were down there. Uh, and the group overall uh, did um, overshoot their uh, natural catastrophe allowance for the year. Uh, and they've uh, raised it a bit for next year. But um, overall, uh, Suncorp are midway through a three-year plan and they, they um, seem to be tracking pretty well on that. Terry, what do you think Suncorp and Steve Johnson are doing right? Well, I think Wendy's hit the nail on the head, really. They, they're getting the fundamentals right. They've been working at this now for a couple of years. It hasn't been easy in the sort of environment we're dealing with at present. I've been reading through a few analysts' comments today, and, and they're all wise after the event, but none of them really saw that that Suncorp was performing as well as, uh, as it has. Uh, most of them were at least 8% below in their estimates on on how well they'd do. Ignoring the bank's better performance, and, and investors still seem to want Suncorp to sell the bank, only not right now. Uh, the Australian insurance business achieved a 42% rise in profit, and thanks to getting premiums to at or near the, the, the technical price. Um, better investment returns and, and releases of reserve capital. Yes, premiums are now, for the most part, at least at, at the pre, at the technical level, and and the company seems to have sorted out its claims operation. Steve Johnson and his team estimated natural disasters would cost about nine fifty, but in fact, it cost more than a billion, as Wendy noticed. Uh, but even then, reinsurance premiums for Suncorp didn't go through the roof, which is a pleasing sign, I think, for the entire industry. All in all, it's a result that shrugs off the impact of so much that, that's going wrong for insurers at present. So with the um, Marsh report last week and these results, is this an indication that perhaps, you know, we've seen the worst of the hard market? I, I've spoken to quite a few uh, CEOs and, and also some of the, the underwriting agencies in the last week or so. And what seems to be happening is that premiums are starting to plateau. They're not, they're not going down, that's for sure, but they're not going up at the, the same extreme rate. And I think everybody's beginning to, or or is at the technical level for the risk. So I think this is where everybody needed to be, but it takes a bit of resolve to stay there. So let's just see what does happen. I think it's going to be very interesting when you look at, say, compare the IAG result with the Suncorp. Very different circumstances for both those companies, but it does mean that their their actions in the future are going to be well worth watching. Well, we haven't seen a lot of movement in the CEOs and the industry uh, recently, but a couple of the major insurers are losing their chairman, aren't they, John? Yes, that's right. So we heard from IAG that Elizabeth Bryan will be stepping down in October after six years at the helm to be replaced by Tom Pocket. And on September 23rd, Duncan West will step down as Hollard chairman again after six years. And Mr. West, a former head of both Vero and CGU, is set to join Suncorp's board. But that's two very experienced chairmen stepping back and leaving some pretty big shoes to fill. Terry, how influential do chairmen tend to be in this industry? Um, within the companies they chair, they're, they're very influential. You might 
really say that the industry CEO ranks are pretty settled, but when you think about it, we've seen the departure of quite a few CEOs over the past couple of years, certainly more than we have chairmen. Uh, and they were pushed out by their chairman for a variety of reasons, um, most of which we are familiar with. Boards may not always have a great understanding of the inner workings of insurance, but I'd never accuse Duncan West of such a thing. Uh, but chairmen do, as a, as a rule, question, advise and hustle senior executives to make the company perform and profit. We all need a good chairman, guys. Um, a good chairman has to find a balance between providing advice to the CEO and standing back far enough to let him or her do their job. So, yes, they're influential within the company, if not necessarily within the industry. Well, moving on, let's talk about COVID-19 vaccines. John, some insurers are pushing quite hard to get their staff vaccinated, but none are talking about mandating it yet, are they? No, no, they're not. This debate seems to be gathering some pace with lots of questions put to the Prime Minister and other political leaders. But um, so, yeah, we rang around all the major insurers to see what what they're doing to encourage or assist staff to get vaccinated. Some didn't want to talk about it uh, or didn't have any measures in place, which is a little strange. Others were keen to point out their generous schemes allowing staff to take paid leave in order to get a vaccine. But I think really you'd probably expect that. Suncorp and Alliance say they're thinking about taking part in workplace vaccination schemes should these get approval. And Suncorp's Mr Johnston probably had the strongest views on the issue. He's had two AstraZeneca shots and he says his staff should play their part and get vaccinated. Nobody's talking about mandating vaccines for staff and really with the majority of the industry able to work effectively from home, you can't see that happening. That being said, it may be that some major employers only allow vaccinated staff back to the offices once lockdowns end. We'll just have to wait and see how that pans out. What's your view on this, Wendy? Could insurers do more as major employers to push the vaccination effort forward? Some corps, um, Steve Johnson spoke about it strongly again yesterday at the, um, at the results um, and I guess um, they just need to, um, you know, use their voice and push the case and make it as easy as possible for their, their staff to, um, to get the vaccinations. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what they can really do. Well, considering, you know, it's a potential OHS issue in an ongoing capacity, Terry, there must be some insurance-related or risk mitigation that actually sort of warrants a stronger effort. Nicely put. I really don't know. Uh, ask me that next week and I, and I will tell you. But I do think that, that we are going to see quite a bit of debate going on about employees' rights to not be vaccinated. And then again, those who have been vaccinated don't want to be hanging around with the unvaccinated. It's a whole new class structure. Ask me again next week. Or better still, ask John. <laughs> John, do some research. Finally, it's that time of year again as Dive-In opens for registration. Insurance News is a supporter of the Lloyds-inspired annual Diversity and Inclusion Festival. And John, it looks like there are some great events happening locally. Absolutely. There's a range of presentations and discussions on this crucial issue next month. Check out our website for the full list, or you can go to the Dive-In website where you can actually register uh, the theme this year is active allyship, which is aimed at pushing those within the industry to stop just talking about these issues and actually become an ally for change. There are sessions on the impact of remote working on diversity and inclusion, 
mental health in a post-pandemic world and creating positive impacts for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Forced into a virtual format last year, it actually became more popular than ever because sessions were easier to attend and uh, you could attend in, in different countries to, to your own as well. This year it's hoped to be a hybrid festival with some in-person events, but clearly that will depend on the state of local restrictions. With the festival's theme in mind, Terry, do you think there's enough action to go with all the talk? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, look, I, I remember about 10 years ago sitting in the chairman's office at Lloyd's while the chairman, who was at the time was John Nelson, a, a fairly... Or a, very much a, a forward thinker who understood where the, the market needed to go. And he, he was raging about the fact that Lloyd's employed a single type of person, which he described as male, pale and stale. He didn't see how Lloyd's could expand into new world markets relying completely on a bunch of middle-class Englishmen in suits and white shirts who all went to the same school, think the same things, and even sound the same. So he brought in Inga Beale as CEO at Lloyd's to push for real change in the, the way the, the market really looked. And Divin has been the major instrument that, that she settled on as, uh, as being a way to start pushing diversity. I think we've already seen some big changes happening in, in insurance at the workplace level, some of it as a result of the sort of inspiration you get from uh, Divin. Uh, and I think that changes as much an attitude as how we work. But I think that's also a reflection of the more enlightened generations moving into management positions. Diversity and, and inclusion is something that we now recognise a need for, and I think everyone's better off for, for embracing Divin's ideals. Uh, it, it continues to be a tremendous catalyst for real change, and now it's calling on all of us to get involved by being agents for that change. It's the real deal, and it, Insurance News has always been a strong supporter of the festival, and I'm pretty proud about that. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to a panel, Terry McMullen, John Deeks and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week and listening to John's research. Music